0: The Liz Callaway Show with Nick Summers, featuring Breitbart Talks on Talk 94.5.
1: All right. Joining us, we are so lucky to have him, is the Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief and best-selling author, yeah, two New York Times bestsellers, Alex Marlowe. Good morning.
0: Good morning, Liz. Thanks so much for having me on your program.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. And, uh, you know, we just played a clip of you, um, you know, where was that from, Nick? Uh, Fox Business me. yesterday. Fox mm-hmm. Business yesterday, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, I, I was reading a little bit about Breaking the News. This is a book that you wrote uh, a while back that is going into reprint. So what is the difference between the original and uh, and the one that's out now?
0: Yeah, I, so we have some new material where I try to update some of the plot lines that are uh, – that I – basically Breaking the News are initially – it started out as what I wanted to be the definitive compendium of fake news during the Trump era, sort of the history of the fake news era, uh, which I think really started with the term fake news, which was used by in Democrat circles in a very literal sense. Before it was co-opted, actually first by Breitbart and then by Donald Trump, but it's the definitive story of all of the various lies that were told by the establishment press and really trying to help people understand what's the motivating factors behind why our media is so awful. And it's not just as simple as left-right dichotomy, where they're on the left and we're on the right, and that's why we don't like them. No, it's not like that. What the media does is they hold the line for corporate status quos for companies that have businesses internationally. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to protect the current world order, where corporations are continuing to sort of overtake our democracy and uh, create this, uh, this this oligarchy with America's biggest corporations really at the top of the world hierarchy and the kind of dovetails into the Davos crowd, the World Economic Forum. That was the original thesis of it, and I think uh, unfortunately it's aged very well. Uh, but there's other parts of it that I think are imperative for this election year, and I think this is why my publisher Simon and Schuster wanted to re-release it. There's a lot of stories about the twenty twenty about the twenty twenty election and the integrity issues that were brought about not by ballot stuffing or uh, voting machines where they're flipping votes. All all of that was bogus. But the corporate establishment had such a lockdown on information, it made it so the American electorate was completely uninformed about crucial issues, particularly about Joe Biden and his family. And that's the thing that needs to be discussed now, this year, as we head into the next election.
1: You know... Alex when we talk about the media and its role in elections and how dangerous it is that corporate uh, corporate america in some regard and social media gurus and giants and uh, executives are controlling public opinion and trying to guide public opinion um like a giant ship and trying to capture everybody they can To think like them and move that ship in whatever direction they want to go in. And I often liken it to being in a domestic abuse situation, almost like a narcissistic gaslighting kind of situation. And I don't know, many of us have been in that type of situation, type of relationship with someone. Um, And it's almost like you think, you feel bad about yourself when you're watching it. They they try to tell you that you know you're beaten down, and this is this is this is the savior. I mean, is, how um, how intentional is every single script or conversation they're having on these shows? Um, how much is it really guided? do you think? What percentage is to to having us vote the way they want us to vote? I, I really feel that way.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's almost the the driving force, the engine in most newsrooms is to not mm. to inform. It is to protect the corporate interests of the companies. Wow. Here's some of the examples that I give. Uh, take ABC. So ABC News, we all know we don't like ABC News. Well, why are they the way they are? It's not just that they all went to liberal journalism schools. ABC News is part of ABC Disney. Disney is one of the biggest, most woke international corporations in the world. The news division doesn't make any money, relatively speaking. What the news division does is it makes it so uh, there is a blackout on negative stories about the corporation and about the climate, the business climate globally, that makes it so that corporation can be a a company worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, Take NBC. NBC is part of NBC Comcast Universal. You ever wonder why NBC is allowed to lie and they get away with all this stuff and why the corporate the corporations don't care about it? Well, it doesn't matter if they lose integrity or lose money. All that matters is that that is another newsroom that is setting cultural agenda and cultural trend. And all of that will be unquestioning of the international status quo, which includes allowing things like the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, getting a pass on unleashing a pandemic on the world. Mm. Because why? Uh, the Universal Pictures releases movies in China, the they Universal Studios theme parks in China. All of these people are going to protect the, the Chinese Communist Party because if they don't, they're going to get kicked out of China. They're going to lose billions of
1: dollars in revenue. That's so like it, athletes should, as well.
0: It, it and, and I, it, it, it's actually there's an overlap because a lot of these conglomerates own sports stadiums. Yeah. So and a lot of them have vested interests. In sports teams, they are partial owners of sports teams. So yes, that's exactly why they're like this. And we have, unfortunately, uh, we've normalized it in our society because people understand that if everyone is saying the same things, then it starts appearing to be true. So your point about gaslighting, that's literally what's happening with our media. And so I want people to break out of this thought that, hey, the media is just liberal, it's not liberal bias. It's so much more nefarious than that. Mm. And all of the worst parts of the media bias that brought us the horrific treatment of Donald Trump and his family and the get, the path that was given to Joe Biden's family, all of it's in, uh, in play. All of it's at least as bad today as it was when I wrote the book. Luckily, the public is more wise. But we need to get everyone informed over the next 10 months.
1: Alex, I know I'm guessing you're much younger than I am. Um I'm 54. When I went through d- journalism school, I felt like I had this amazing job that I worked for as a for the public as a service to get to the truth, to uncover things that are harm- that's harmful to the public or America. Like I felt like I was on a mission. Um I, to have to turn that and bastardize it into pushing people towards a certain social agenda or political agenda. To me, I can't help but agree with Trump, and I don't know if he's the one who coined the phrase about the media, that they're the enemy of the people. That is like the very definition because the the, the media is supposed, the reporter, the investigative reporter, is the champion of the people. That's what they're supposed to. That's what I learned. Yes, that's right. And instead, we're being gaslighted and spoon fed. And, and um, it's, it's, I mean, I want to say it it should be criminal what they're doing because they're passing off facts. uh, I mean, um, uh, lies as facts that that should not be allowed.
0: What Trump said, his exact quote, is the fake news is the enemy of the people. He's not talking about people who do big, deep-dive investigations. He doesn't say they're the enemy of the people. He says the people who are there just to manipulate the public. And unfortunately, that's the vast majority of the newsroom. I open up the news, the new edition, the first sentence, or I guess, the, yeah, literally the first sentence. I write that the principle of our media establishment today is not to inform the public. The primary interest is to advance mm-hmm the corporate agenda. The next thing is to advance leftism. And then finally, if there's any time at the end, then they'll bother filling us in. But they're only going to fill us in on stuff that doesn't harm the first two agendas, which is to protect the corporate status quo and then to advance the agendas of the Democrat left.
1: So if if that being your opening statement, if you don't have an open mind and accept that to be truth, because it is truth. Then the rest of the book doesn't even matter. I mean, like they have to you have to understand, like when you're you're going to read this, you're going to you're going to read about things that is going to like blow up your whole belief system about the media. There are still people that turn on the news thinking they're going to get the truth.
0: Yes, exactly. And I'm trying to get people in this audience who I know know that there's liberal bias. It's actually worse and more complex Mm -hmm. and there's more direction to where they get the stories wrong. And I track trends in how the New York Times, for example, is willing to correct stories that are inaccurate so long as they're politically neutral or <laughs> the stories that, are, wow. you, you, that, that uh, benefit one of their preferred narratives. But on stories where there is a deep agenda that advances either their corporate interests or their political interests, then all of a sudden the corrections look a lot different. They either don't happen, they don't happen in a timely manner, or they're buried well within the story. I give example after example of this happening. Uh, And I think that once you start seeing the matrix, then all of a sudden you can read the news and it becomes more valuable to you because you know what you're reading. You're reading the code. You need one of those Mm -hmm. secret decoder rings that came in my uh, (laughs) Dick, Dick Tracy kit when I was five years old. You need that to read the New York Times these days.
1: Yeah, and you know why? That's why I literally. I, this is not a joke, Alex. I mean, every morning my alarm goes off at three. I open up my phone and open up the Breitbart app. That's exactly what I do because I want to know what the heck happened last night while I was sleeping, and I know I'm going to get it straight. You know, I feel like I'm going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, this is not a shameless plug for you, but but I mean, I'm just saying like it's it's come to the point where I. Feel comfortable reading the news there. Other places, I feel like I'm, I'm, they're duping me in some way, and I don't like that feeling. I mean,
0: I, how- I need to coin something. And Liz, it's so kind of you. It, it, I need to coin something like the Breitbart Challenge or something. I, I dare you to read our front page two, three, four times a day on our app. Which mm-hmm. is the best way to do it, so you get all the latest. Uh, every day for a month. And, and tell me where I was unfair. Tell me where we were unfair. If we weren't trying... And if we're being unfair, it's because we think it's twice as funny uh, to be unfair than it is to be... <laughs> it, 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 it's worth it. It's, it's the Everything is meticulously calculated to put truth and accuracy first. Of mm-hmm. course, you want to entertain the audience so they keep c- coming back. But a, we're never unfair to our targets, even the ones that, that we're pretty tough on. And uh, this is something that is becoming unique in the media landscape. It it is not a hysterical website. It never has been. Mm -hmm. We're very uh, tough on the people who deserve it, but accuracy and truth is paramount. That is not the case in the vast, vast majorities of our newsrooms.
1: Mm -hmm. So, Alex, um, you have had uh, plenty of times that you've been able to speak with Trump, right? Yeah, I think seven times
0: over. I've interviewed interviewed him seven times over the years.
1: What have you seen? Because you've been knee-to-knee, having this conversation with him, what have you seen, if anything, that has changed in maybe his persona or his delivery? Have you seen anything evolve uh, as to who he is as a uh, candidate today?
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of things. I spent a a lot of time with him a couple of weeks ago at Mar-a-Lago. We wrote a lot of stories about it. Uh, at, At Breitbart, there's probably still a couple more. Things to be said, but I think most of it's out there People want to hunt it down. Um, there's a couple of things that I saw in him, uh, that, and most of them are, are quite encouraging. Or first of all, he's incredibly sharp. Uh, there's lots of established media news stories these days acting like he's deteriorating. Look, I, I also uh, think the optics of having septuagenarians and octogenarians only run our government, not, not that they can't be a part of it, but it feels like it's the whole government now, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a terrific look. But he's incredibly sharp. Obviously, Joe Biden. I wrote a book about Joe Biden last year; that was a bestseller. Uh, he is he is deteriorating, and Trump is not. He's just not. He's sharp. He's fast. Uh, he controls the conversation effortlessly. He has a great time. He's high energy. All of that stuff is there. If you don't like his persona or his per- or his policies, then fine. He's not for you. But he's incredibly sharp, and that's very reassuring because you want a sharp president. Um, the other thing that I think that he has learned, I think he learned his way around Washington. Uh, but I think it took him about three full years to do it. Uh, his fourth year was exemplary in many, many ways. And there was a lot of headwinds due to the coronavirus, but he made a lot of very sharp choices, particularly in things like the border. Uh, and uh, the, w- the way he was able to do judicial appointments, there are certain things that he was, even some of his coronavirus response uh, is underrated, though he made some huge mistakes, like uh, those horrific press conferences that he did every day. Mm-hmm. I criticize him quite a bit for that and breaking the news. Um, but I feel reassured that he's learned a lot. That said, he's got the same political headwind heading into this year that he had last time. The corporate establishment doesn't want to let him win. The Democrat cheap-by-mail machine wants to make sure that every last possible Democrat vote is turned into one of those Zuckerberg ballot boxes. All of that's mm-hmm. going to happen and anyone who joins his cabinet eventually is going to be uh, under deep, deep scrutiny for the rest of their lives, and that is a that is a real going to be a real pain in the butt for recruiting. Uh, but overall, I feel better about him now than I did in 2016 when I was uh, excited to vote for him. Mm-hmm.
1: Then. Absolutely. Um, really quick question here. I just played um, the full speech from Burgum when he endorsed him on the Iowa stage, I played bits of what Vivek had to say and what Trump had to say about both Burgum after that in Iowa and Vivek in New Hampshire. Um, Do you think either of them are being kind of put out there as a test, a litmus test uh, for vice president? Or do you think he has somebody else? In mind.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I think that Trump is, and this came up in the interview with him, um, that I, I think he's playing with us. He's always playing with us. So <laughs> one, thing, one, one thing that was very funny is that uh, with the interview, the last interview I did with him was about two hours. I was with Matt Boyle, um, our Washington bureau chief, and maybe during that time, uh, I asked him six or seven direct questions, and mm-hmm. Boyle probably asked him 10 or 11. He never answered one. He didn't answer one direct question. He won't do it um, because he controls the conversation. Mm-hmm. He's the alpha. He's very uh, friendly about it. He's incredibly charismatic. He's incredibly – he's a great guy to hang out with. But he won't answer questions directly. Everything is 40 chess with him. So never take Trump literally. Never make that mistake. So uh, I don't take any of this seriously. I mean, he's practically uh, hugging and squeezing Vivek Ramaswamy yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this is designed for us to have these conversations, Liz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I- I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to. It's fun to have these conversations. But he's absolutely going to test drive a bunch of people to see how they look, mm-hmm. to get another news cycle, to get a round of headlines. To get people on talk radio having fun speculating, what's he up to? Mm-hmm. I have no idea what he's up to. Bergham seems like a great guy. I, I don't I don't think he'll be on the ticket. I do think he, he could end up in a cabinet post. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does look like he's test driving it. But that's Trump having fun
1: at this point. I agree because, I, you know, I heard um, Dan Bongino on our station yesterday saying, you know, Vivek, you know, he went right to New Hampshire. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way Vivek invited him on stage with Trump. Trump, you know they—they they might have had their people talked, and Trump allowed him on the stage. There's no way Vivek like forced his way up there. Trump would never do it unless it was calculated.
0: Of course not, and uh, and uh, you saw the way Trump gave this speech, this unity speech after Iowa, where he's saying. Mm-hmm. Everyone did terrific. Congratulations, to everyone! <laughs> My opponents were unbelievable. Uh, the the Nikki Ron were having fun. Trump didn't even go to Iowa. Barely
1: he he campaigned there at the end. I thought it was twenty two times he went there or something.
0: Yeah, he wasn't Vivek lived there. Ron DeSantis lived there. It's a, a they did not do very well. They did very poorly. Trump kicked their butts, and so Trump is just trying to be. He's playing around. He's having a good time. And he he does want every single vote, and I should have said this earlier when you asked me about what's changed about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to be very respectful of people who don't totally get his vibe but are potentially voters that might choose him over Biden in the general election. And he is trying to speak their language. And if you look at some of the way he's messaged on issues like abortion, he is trying to find a way to back up his own record, Mm -hmm. but to also be conciliatory to people who might not be in lockstep with him. And I think that this is a maturity that is going to serve him well this year.
1: Well, Alex, I hope for the rest of us that um, he does win. I mean, I don't know. Has Breitbart come? Do you, are you guys in the business of endorsing?
0: Oh, well, we don't endorse, but I think um, I can speak on behalf of the newsroom in, in that Nikki Haley is our least favorite candidate by consensus just, ju- just due to her policies. <laughs> uh, the policies yeah. are not popular in the American public. Um, they're very much uh, from a bygone era where establishments control. The mm-hmm. world and uh, more wars and open borders, and maybe the trans stuff's okay. Uh, n- n- none of us like any of that. So uh in DeSantis, I think we all have a deep high regard for him as a governor mm-hmm. um but was it, uh, ran one of the worst campaigns of all time. I mm-hmm. think that's an objective fact. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that he probably lost a lot of support in the He's a
1: bad time. candidate
0: yeah and and yeah. the the vague is it seems like an amazing guy, but he, He wasn't going to be president. He was going to be Trump. Mm -hmm. So I think I think everyone knew that. So I um,
1: have to ask you one more question, Alex. This is really important because we talked about it earlier and we had a little debate, Nick and I. So do you think that the Democrat donors uh, that are donating to Nikki Haley want her to run against Biden because they want her to win or that because they know that she will lose?
0: I have absolutely no idea, but I'm happy to watch them waste all their money. I was thinking about this <laughs> and about like, looking at the result in Iowa and, and Haley, who finished third, says it's now a two-person race. Like, What's she talking about? It's such a bizarre. She can't it's do math, apparently. DeSantis said he punched his ticket. I mean, what is that? What did he punch what does his that ticket to? He lost by thirty points. Like, <laughs> you see, I have no idea what any of these people are talking about, and it's just it's totally abusing to me. Why would Democrats and Nikki Haley money? Uh, the only thing I can think of is. She's got a lot of pol- of the same policies as your typical establishment Democrat. She agrees with them on the defense contractor, she mm-hmm. agrees with them mostly on the border. she lightly agrees with them on the trans stuff so i i don't I don't know it, the, the, maybe they like her in general maybe they are afraid Biden is a horrific candidate because he is. Break down. I have a whole book breaking that down. Uh huh. Uh, and maybe they think she's not so bad and they're hedging, but I don't know. It's all a waste of money for them. So you so don't know either. You,
1: you yeah. Say, yeah. I, okay. No,
0: absolutely not. We're still no debating
1: idea. that. Well, Alex Marlowe, so much fun to speak with you. He is the editor of Breitbart News. And, um, the, uh, the two books are Breaking Biden and uh, Breaking the News. Where are they available? Everywhere. Yeah.
0: Anywhere you want to get them, I think um, the breaking the news they had like four bucks yesterday on Amazon. You know why? Because we put out the new edition, so then so they dropped the price. Of the old edition, like oh. it's, it's really easy to get this stuff. I, I don't make a ton of money off of it. I genuinely think we will change the world if people read these books. A lot of people have read them; they like them. You like them too. I try to make them fun. Um, but I think the messages are essential, and I can't thank you enough for what you do for uh, for Breitbart promoting all of our stuff, me well, included.
1: Thank you. I appreciate what you do, believe me. Um, have a great day, and we'll talk to you next time.
0: Yeah, let's do it again soon.